Hello, Shane Coleman here and welcome to the Top 5 Books podcast where we ask well-known Irish people to talk us through their five favourite books of all time. I'm delighted to say we're joined by the lead singer of a band that, in my humble opinion, have produced the best music in this country over the last 25 years. It's Brendan Murphy of uh, The Four of Us. Brendan, an absolute pleasure to have you on the Sunday show. Ah, thanks very much. Now listen, you know, you think Brendan Murphy, you think of The Four of Us, you think music. Obviously, you don't think books, but okay. I, I'm guessing if you're a musician that writes music, I'm guessing that there's an association with books, and you probably get a lot of your inspiration ideas from books. Or am I wrong? Well, I, I mean, I was, a, I mean, I had no option but to read a lot of books through sort of college, and I was at Queen's University for like six years, did a history degree, and then I, I did a law degree. So, I mean, by the time I finished Queen's, um, I was sick and tired of books. <laughs> but having said that, I read a lot of books. Is there particular types? I mean, are you you studied history? So, I mean, are yeah. you history books or no. more? No. no, 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 no. I wouldn't touch a history been there, book. Done be, yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> no, my favourite books are actually either biographies or I'm not a huge fan of fiction. Funny enough, I mean, I like uh, I like business books. Weirdly, well, you know, am I like not just about the music business now? No, no. See, it doesn't matter what business it is. It's all the same, really. When you get right down to it. Business is business. It's all about the dollar. Well, it's yeah, and it's also about it's also about sort of what because we're independent, you know. We're we're, uh, we run our own record company as well, so you just sort of need to. All businesses are are effectively the same when it gets right down to it. So, I just find it interesting, and also it's different than with the music. And when I write, you use your imagination more. Yeah. Um, So sometimes I find that it sort of grounds me. I'd rather go and flights of fancy when I'm when I'm writing lyrics. And also, I don't have much time for... I like it sort of to be short and concise. I was going to say, I mean, I know you've got, you've got a young family, uh, you're, you're writing songs, you've got your own record company. Yeah. I mean, you probably don't have a huge amount of time for reading at the moment, do you? No, funny, but I mean, I, I use... Uh, there's a company called audible.com and, and uh, you can actually listen on headphones uh, to whatever books are out. So when I'm not reading, reading, I literally could be walking along, uh, you know, having the latest bestseller, you know, read out by yeah. the author or, or somebody else. Yeah, okay, okay, sounds good. Okay, listen, let's start talking about your choices. Your first choice, I have to say, jumped out at me and it, it sort of rolled back the years because, and this is going to sound incredibly pretentious until I give you the backdrop, I read this book, but in French. Now, the, yeah. reason, the reason I read it in French was because we did it in, the, in our leaving cert year and our yeah. French teacher was a kind of a fan of Albert Camus. So it's no near as impressive as it might sound. But it's a great book, The Outsider or L'Etranger, as I would have known it back in 1985 or 86. And my reason for including it is similar to yours. The reason I put it there was that, like you, I learned it at school. But unlike every other book, and like you, I learned it in French, but unlike every other book that I'd read at school, it was the first one that sort of, it just hit me between the, the eyes in terms of like, you know, when, you, when you're in the school system, a lot of what you're taught is by rote, and, and it's a lot of, this was a book that sort of made you question the sort of rules of life the same way the character does. Yeah. I, mean, I identified with him. I mean, obviously, he killed a guy, but I didn't identify with that. But I identified with the fact that he didn't want to play the game of life, which was really what I think the point Camus was making. He was basically sort of saying, I mean, the backstory is that this is a guy who who didn't really, you know, it's a certain, he's telling the story himself in the book, 
and he really doesn't show too much emotion. He doesn't really have too much. His emotion. mother has just passed away, I think. Yeah, isn't it? And, and he's and, sort of and he's he's not smoking, at all, drinking. Yeah. You know, he has uh, sex. He, I think the next day, he, and he's sort of observing in a pretty cold and calculated way everybody else that's sort of there, and then that sort of extends to his just behaviour yeah. generally, and then it culminates when he kills somebody and doesn't really feel any remorse. It's an interesting choice that for a rock star, and I mean, you know, you had that whole rock star lifestyle for a while in terms of success, big success and so on. And I mean, this book is sort of about kicking back against the rules, which is the, mm-hmm. the classic kind of rock star thing. Is that, I mean, is that why it appealed to you or is that reading too much into it? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, I didn't want a job. I mean, that was the reason that, I mean, like everybody else, you sort of form a band for two reasons. Um, anybody, anybody that denies these two reasons is, is probably like trying to get one over on you. First of all, I didn't want a job. And second of all, I wanted a shortcut to getting out with girls. You know, I mean, that's really why most people do it. From Bruce Springsteen well, to Paul McCartney. Probably worked in, well, probably worked in both. Well, it, it certainly didn't hurt. Let's put it that way. It didn't hurt. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was brought up a Catholic and the fact that he questioned everything. He was questioning religion. Also, I was sort of like, you're at that age when you're trying to form your own identity. And certainly, looking around me, I just didn't feel part of anything. I felt more of a, certainly, an outsider than... So, to have a book, you know, that sort of spoke like that, I just, in in a funny way, I sort of, I could just identify with it. It just struck me, and I think it struck a lot of teenage people who came to it the same way. I mean, Robert Smith from The Cure, he had a song called Killing an Arab, and I'm pretty sure he probably did it maybe at school or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's one of those books. It's the first sort of book as a schoolboy that certainly that, that I read that really made me think. Um, I sort of admired whoever it was that put it on the curriculum because yeah. it, it was the first book that sort of went along with you yeah, in questioning it's a, it's authority. A, it's a... I mean, I was I was reading back through it, and I was thinking, God, did I really do this in school when I was sort of sixteen yeah. and seventeen? I mean, it's quite a sophisticated book it for is. for that uh, age group. Yeah, and it forces you, I think, to ask a lot of questions. And um, it has stayed like I'm a long way past the age I was when I read it. But yet, the reason I included it was because I think, in terms of books that had a profound effect on me, that definitely was the first that had that effect. To go from a book that has been described as kind of dealing in existentialism to a, another book that maybe is about <laughs> basically survival and, and existentialism in that in that sense, your next choice, Touching the Void by Joe Simpson. I mean, it is an extraordinary book, also made, of course, into a, a brilliant documentary film yeah. as well. Tell us about that one. It, well, it was two guys who claimed, they were the, the first one to claim, well, I'm trying to think of the mountain, it was... Uh, It was Joe Simpson and Simon Yates who were the first to climb the mountain. And unfortunately, on the way down, uh, Joe Simpson broke his leg very badly. Um, That slowed them down. And as it slowed them down, the bad weather came in. It got colder. Also, they ran out of fuel to turn snow and ice into water. So they were in trouble. And Yates was trying to sort of help his friend who had the broken leg descend the mountain. It started getting dark. They couldn't see what they were really doing. So at one point, he tied the guy with the broken leg onto the end of the rope and started lowering him over some ledge, hoping that there was a ledge pretty close below it. But, you know, he got it all wrong. It was a cliff. There was nothing anywhere close to him. And um, he kept waiting for Simpson to sort of say, right, he'd landed or feel the weight 
go as, as Simpson sort of landed another rock, but it never happened. And the weight just stayed there for a lot of time as both guys were getting colder. The weight was becoming unbearable and uh, he had a, just a choice that you would never, ever I want to make. They call it Hobson's choice, I think, isn't it? Like yeah. it's just If he didn't cut the rope, they would probably both die. Yeah. But if he did cut the rope, well, it seems inevitable that the it other person certain. would die. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a choice you'd hope you would never have to make. That's right. He did the only thing he could do, I suppose. He did cut the he rope. He cut the rope and the guy fell 150 feet but miraculously landed in a crevasse alive. Uh, meanwhile, the other guy then, now freed of the weight, was able to sort of uh, dig himself into a sort of a, a shelter on the ledge and come down safely the next day, assuming that his friend was dead. But in fact, his friend was still alive, but he couldn't climb. He had fallen into a crevasse and he couldn't climb out of it. So with no water and a broken leg, he just climbed deeper into the crevasse, hoping to find a hole that would sort of get him back onto the face of the mountain. And unbelievably, he did. And then for the next three days, he literally crawled over rocks day and night, just one rock at a time. Five and, miles, I think. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable pain. And funny enough, the other guy was literally just about to, was wrapping up in base camp, about to leave to go back to civilization, which would have, again, killed the guy that was trying to reach him. But he just reached him in time. And... I think for me, it's one of those stories that gives you heart in sort of the the human spirit. It's just Simpson who you know lost his leg completely. Eventually, you know he's got an artificial one now. But he said that what kept him going, you know, because it was literally just agony every time he tried to make a move anywhere. Was he would just look at a rock about thirty feet ahead of him. He would just try to get to that rock. Little milestone, yeah. almost. Yeah, and that's that's how he did it. So whenever I had a problem, as I do <laughs> on a very regular basis, I just try to get to that rock. So he's, he's one of those inspirational guys, you know. I, I have to ask you, and it's a terribly cliched question, but I can't resist it. I mean, is it somehow, a, you know, a metaphor for 25 years or 26 years, whatever it is in the music business, the highs, the lows, the, that sense of survival? Or is that just... Uh... Yeah, no, I think, I think that there is a lot of truth in that. I think that music is more a vocation really I think than a normal job you know and there's no one in our position really you're only as good as your last song or your last record and the reason we've been able to keep going is because thankfully enough people have liked the next yeah. record to give us a chance to do another one but also because and I, I mean I've seen you live fairly recently it's quite clear you and, and your brother Declan you actually still love what you're doing after all this period of time that's quite incredible as well isn't it I do love it yeah I really do love it I think I'm but I'm also feel grateful I feel grateful to our audience that they have allowed us to keep doing it I mean that they just didn't go sorry guys I took a photograph of you in 1989 and that's the only photograph I want to see of you and that's the only version. I mean, obviously, there are people that would view us like that. Yeah. But, I mean, luckily for us, enough people who like our band are interested in the next song or the next album. So, yeah. I, yes, absolutely. I'm just trying to get to the next rock. Interesting choice for number three. Stephen King, who I have to say, he, he's uh, his type of book's wouldn't particularly appeal to me, but you've picked a different one. This is kind of a part memoir, part kind of guidebook for writing, basically. Yes. On writing, of course, it's called A Memoir of the Craft. Yes, and, uh, you know, Stephen King is a fiction writer, and fiction generally is not not something, as I said, that would interest me. But any time I've read and been interviewed, 
I think I find him absolutely hilarious. You know, I mean, he's just so funny, so on the money. You know, I remember somebody, a friend of mine, had the book and I borrowed it off her and I literally couldn't put it down because it's part biography, which interests me anyway. And his biography is very interesting. You know, he would say that he was a drug addict and an alcoholic and that he, he wrote some of his most famous books. I mean, I find that pretty incredible, you know, that he, while he was taking cocaine and going through beer at a pretty savage pace, but yet he was he was still able to sort of produce. And the way he... He has no sentimentality in it. He's just hilarious. Like, I mean, there's one bit where he's, he's talking about he can't understand. Like, he, even now, he'll go to a restaurant and he'll see somebody with a the glass of wine and maybe they leave half the glass. You know, they, they finish their meal. He's looking over at the table. He said that they haven't finished the glass of wine. And he said he feels, he let, with all his will, he has to hold himself because he feels like going over to them and going, if you didn't want a drink, why didn't you just buy a Coke? The idea of buying a drink and not finishing it, he basically says there's the essence of what his problem was. Yeah. I mean, he really drank to get drunk. And to get to the bottom of every bottle, basically. Yeah, so the whole point for him is, if you're going to drink alcohol, you're really going to start putting it away. Mm. He can't understand people that are what you'd call social drinkers. But he just was so funny about it, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, again, you know, the way he talks about his relationship with his wife, his relationship with work, that really interested me because, you know, songwriting, like any sort of writing, there's two ways you can do it. One way is wait until the mood strikes you. Um, And the other way is that you try to have some sort of a habit of writing. A structure. You you sit at your desk at nine o'clock in the morning. And wait for God to walk Uh, into the room. Do you have a... Are you structured or are you... Oh, I went went through the other phase. But I mean, it's like, you mean, you know, you write a song a year, you know, and some people would say that's what we do anyway. But, (laughs) you know, I'm not so much, I'm not a slow writer. I'm just very fast at throwing songs out. Yeah. So I, I understood his, you know, he just has no patience with people who are sort of view themselves as writers in the sense of like, well, I just wait to get inspired or whatever. Yeah. As far as he's concerned, it's... 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration or whatever. Unless you're Paul McCartney and you just dream uh, yesterday or something like that. Yeah, well, he may have dreamed yesterday, but I don't think he dreamed all those songs that he wrote after. true. That's definitely true. Come here, moving on to uh, your fourth choice. It's a book, I suppose, maybe you might expect a musician of your stature to pick because you've gone for the daddy of songwriters almost and a really fascinating book. Bob Dylan and uh, Chronicles. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, you know, you're right. He is the daddy of songwriting. And it is a fascinating book. Fascinating for me, particularly because at the time when it came out, I had sort of begun to wonder whether he had become sort of a... Because he was so reclusive and wasn't given interviews at that point, I had begun to wonder just how... I know this sounds terrible, but how sharp he was at that point, you know what I mean? Or how damaged he was, you know, because he, you know, he, I thought, is there a reason that he keeps to himself and he doesn't yeah. say anything? Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's just not as coherent as he used to be. So then to read a book as sharp and as so Dylan-esque and all the great use of language and he was given an honour at the Music Cares Award and the Grammys and, I mean, he just, it was... Chronicles all over again, except he talked this time, and he just he held no prisoners. He was, 
you know, he had a go at Merle Haggard and Liber and Stoller and Lion Eyes, Chris Christopherson, but he there was zero in a sort of a room full of smoozers. He just didn't care. Yeah. He just went straight to the heart of the matter, which is obviously what people love about Bob Dylan. But I found the book really interesting in a way that I know it infuriated some people because it sort of talks about, on the one hand, his period before he becomes really, really famous. Yeah, he kind of focuses more on that than yeah. on the huge success that he had in the, yeah. in the 60s. Yeah, that's right. He, he talks about that. And then he, on the other side, he talks about his struggle in the sort of 70s and 80s uh, with two albums in particular. Um, the one I particularly zoned into was Oh Mercy because I'm a big fan of Daniel and Watt and I love that record. And, you know, I couldn't believe how... How he viewed himself. He was, you know, at some point he was saying, at that point he was like a, you know, he could only play clubs. And I'm thinking, surely not. Not Bob Dylan. Like, But he really, he knew he was revered and all that, but he just he didn't know how many people he could pull at a show when he turned up. Incredible and, that he would have that yeah, level of insecurity. Yeah. And then with Daniel Lenoir, that sort of combative uh, relationship he had with Lenoir, both of them trying to make a fantastic record. Mm. So that on the one hand, and then, I mean, I love the fact that when he was talking about um, Greenwich Village and, you know, the ambition of him and just the fact that he just, he, he's honest about how he manipulated things to some degree. He looked at the Clancy Brothers playing Irish folk songs, those sort of rowdy, drunken Irish folk songs in Greenwich Village and he wanted to use that sort of language. He wanted his songs to have that sort of impact. He So... He didn't see himself as a sort of a wimpy folk singer yeah. at all. It was it, he wanted the fire and brimstone okay. uh, version. So I just I, I loved I just loved the way he explained himself. A good read as a book is it for me? It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and I've read it two or three times. He had, I think, it's fair to say. I mean, he he had a difficult relationship with fame and and superstardom. I, I'm just wondering, is it something that? you can identify with because I mean you were propelled from nowhere into the bright lights and, and you know huge sales and all that did uh, I mean I, I would never accuse you of being uncomfortable in the spotlight because you look very comfortable when you're up on stage but was there a downside to it did you feel it was a downside to it that you can identify well, I, well, with not well I never saw I mean we never to be honest with you I mean yeah when we were in Ireland maybe you would but you know you get on a plane and you go to Germany and no one knows who you are yeah, you go yeah, to Holland yeah. so I had a very you know, you grounded kind of, absolutely yeah. because yeah. all you had to do was hop on a plane and go somewhere else. I mean, the problem with people like Dylan, they can go um, nowhere. It couldn't go anywhere, literally. Yeah. I mean, you could drop the guy off, and you know, in Australia, he still wouldn't be able to walk into a bar at that point. And I also think, to some degree, it, it depends on your age, because um, you know, if you're a relatively young success and your audience is young, a young audience, they're a bit crazy, so they'll do things where, whereas an older audience. Even if they love you, they'll sort of be... I mean, obviously, there's some crazies as well, but, I mean, to some degree, they keep their distance and they will sort of be, you know... Yeah. So, I mean, Bob wouldn't be having... Well, actually, now, he's one of the few people that might... Yeah, he, he's, yeah he's probably got more crazy fans yeah. than anybody yeah. on the planet. Okay, interesting choice. Uh, come here, your, your final choice. I have to admit, I haven't read this book, but I've heard a lot about it and heard a lot of people raving about it. I mean, somebody who's a big star, but who probably could you know, walk around the streets and yeah. be unrecognised. Paddy Smith and, and the book Just Kids. I mean, it seems to be an extraordinary memoir of a time and a place and her time and her place. Yes, and she was an artist who, you know, when I was um, a teenager, a lot of my friends had uh, her first album. Horses? Um, or Yeah, and uh, I 
heard it and I liked it, but I didn't have the same effect on me it had. And so I, she, you know, her hit was a Bruce Springsteen cover, you know. So, I mean, it wasn't, I never identified it with the way that a lot of my uh, friends who have great taste in music, by the way, did. And actually, like a lot of people who are, you know, at the top of uh, the tree in terms of uh, the music business artists. I mean, she's lauded, really, and, yeah. and rightly so, but really wasn't doing that much for me. So when, again, I just heard so much about the book and I thought I read it, but I didn't read it as a fan of hers particularly. But boy, did she nail it. I mean, you know, she, she nailed a lot of things. I think she nailed what it was like, what it is like to be, to have some sort of an artistic leaning in you that you can't really shrug off. So regardless of, I'm not, I'm not talking about her time, I'm talking about anybody's time. If it's in you, I mean, and you were talking about me, we're still doing it 25 years. Part of the reason is because that's a compulsion. Yeah. You just, Can that be a, a, oh, it's a, a curse? Oh, it's a curse. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I mean, she said other things that I related to as well, because the two things when I was growing up was I, I loved music and I loved films, and I was trying to figure out which area to go into. I thought, I, I want to do a job I love. They're the two things I love. And uh, her point was that when she tried to act, that she couldn't disappear into somebody else's character. Fundamentally, what she wanted to do was express herself. Mm. And she couldn't really remove herself from the equation enough to be anybody else. And the way she says it, the way she writes about it in the book, and just that sort of coming to terms with the fact that this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to yeah. be. And she's around a lot of people who feel exactly the same thing. Well, and particularly her longtime partner, uh, Robert Maplethorpe. Maplethorpe, yeah. Um, and, I mean, she goes into considerable detail and painful detail about her relationship with him and, and, yeah. and his downward spiral as yeah. well. I, I mean, and they're both broke. I mean, I mean, stony broke in New York. And it's not glamorous in any shape or form. And it's the whole not, scene, and yet it... Is in I suppose know, you know, sort of you know, is. 1970s Chelsea Hotel. Yes. And, I mean, it is very evocative, isn't it? It sure is. I mean, it's it's yeah, it sort of is strangely glamorous. But Probably more glamorous in hindsight than I it would actually think was so. Time. I mean, I was reading and I was thinking rather them than me, you know. But yeah, I mean, there was just no question that was she was in the middle of, which is probably why she commands so much respect because she really. She was at the centre of the whole time, and in, in New York and the CBGBs, uh, and, and just that whole thing in the in the mid seventies. But I mean, her story starts in sixty nine, and also his story as an artist. Again, not really knowing what form he's experimenting at the start. He's he's drawing. He doesn't. It's only relatively late in the game that he falls in photography, and actually, it's only relatively late in the game that she falls on music because essentially she views herself as a poet doesn't really make the connection between poetry and music but, but it's kind of sickening like all talented kind of artistic people she picks up a guitar and within a short period of time she's <laughs> she's really proficient at well, it whereas I'd be trying it for about 10 years and I still wouldn't be able to well it. I mean she makes the point that I don't think she's that proficient I think she was lucky in that she surrounded herself with people who were proficient what she was proficient at you know she says Robert wanted to take photographs and she wanted to be the photograph mm. and I you know I mean she things like cutting her hair she was originally folky looking and she you know she loved Keith Richards so she cut her hair in his style I mean I think all uh, and certainly visual artists and obviously rock singers whether they like it or not they have to go what does someone who's looking at me see 
And do I like that or do I want to change that so that they see something else? And if you're Madonna, it's like, well, I liked it last year, but I don't like it this year. Or yeah. boy, you know, I'm bored with that look, so I'm, I'm going to change it. So the whole thing is really just a character study of two artists sort of trying to figure it out. And I, I thought the, the way she wrote was so clear. Okay, yeah, our guest is uh, Brendan Murphy of The Four of Us. His uh, five favourite books, in no particular order, uh, L'Etranger, or The Outsider by Albert Camus, Touching the Void by Joe Simpson, On Writing, A Memoir of the Craft by Stephen King, Chronicles by Bob Dylan, and as we were just discussing there, uh, Patty Smith, Just Kids. Listen, before I let you go, we were and are primarily talking about books, but I do have to ask you, you know, you were joking earlier on about... Um, uh, throwing away a lot of songs and, and being yeah. quite slow in, in, in producing them. But you do have a, an album coming out in, in the coming weeks? We do. and well, I think it's the end of February. It's going to be coming out. So, yeah, at the minute we are literally just we're shooting videos, uh, which is a lot of fun and, yeah. um, and a bit scary at the same time. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the record's done. So, I mean, we're very excited And you're happy with it? it? I mean, I, I've, I buy all your stuff. And I'm not just saying that. And I, I thought the last album was was really, really good. Is it? Are you, are you happy with, with where it's at? Well, you know, I, I, I hate walking into a cliche because everybody always says their new album is the best album they ever did. <laughs> but I think it just might be. I mean, I, I stand to be corrected. I'm very happy with it. Let's put it. I know that it's uh, it's one of the best records we've released. Okay. Uh, I have to ask you because it just it jumps into my head when you say that. It, it's funny. Like I, I was going, uh, I was going to see you there uh, a couple of weeks back. And uh, you know, I've seen people. Oh, you know, it was a great night last night. It was at the four of us, and they invariably go, "Oh, Mary." Yeah. Does that? And I, 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 I always say, "Look, you know what? That's twenty years ago, or whatever." And they've done loads of brilliant stuff since then. Yeah. You know, does that irritate you, or are you grateful to that song for what it's brought you? Or a is it a bit of both? A bit of both. I mean, you know, we talked about Patty Smith there. You know, I'd be more irritated by the fact that people would be singing because of the night to her, and uh, she didn't write it. I mean, yeah. Bruce Springsteen wrote it. I yeah. mean, name me another Patti Smith song. I mean, because I'm not a fan, you know, I'd have a hard time coming up with another one. Now, she's, a, she's someone that's been around for a lot longer than we have. It's just when it gets right down to it, you're lucky if you've got one song yeah. that, that everybody knows. And as you said at the gig uh, the other night, a song that people don't just know the chorus of, but actually know the verse of as yeah, well. Yeah, it's just one of those, I mean, you know, it was so, such a simple lyric. I mean, I, was, I wrote the lyric when I was... 16 or 17, I don't think I would rhyme bank with Frank now, which is part of the reason why Part of the reason why we haven't had a song probably as big as that. I go, no, that's, that's far too simple. I probably overthink things now. Maybe, maybe. Well, listen, uh, it was an absolute pleasure uh, having you in and thanks indeed for, for taking the time away from uh, promoting and, and videoing and everything to come in and talk us through your top five books. Brendan Murphy, thanks indeed for joining us. Thanks. Okay. Now, here at Top 5 Books, there's a lot more interesting guests and book recommendations in our podcast feed for you. If you're listening on iTunes I'd appreciate if you could subscribe and if you could give us a rating if you have indeed enjoyed any of what you've heard also you can follow us on Twitter we're at Chains Top 5 Books